morning we're going to uh, kind of jump out of our series, Kind Words Are Cool. I do miss wearing my t-shirt that says that, but we're going to kind of jump out of that series and resume that next week. I'm actually going to go back to a to our prayer series that we were doing back in June, and I want to kind of talk to you a little bit this morning about the verse that says, whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. We're going to kind of look at that and also kind of talk about what happens when God doesn't answer your prayers and, and why might that happen. Let me share a story with you as I start this morning. A 17-year-old girl who had been in a car accident and thrown from the car had been in a coma for three days, and then she died after a faith healer came and prayed for her. Pastor Stephen Johnson of Community Church said that Deborah's parents asked the Reverend Jesse Thomas, a faith healer who had just preached at their church, to come to the hospital and pray over their teenage daughter, Deborah Barker. At approximately 1 o'clock, Reverend Thomas and Reverend Johnson and Deborah's parents went into her room, and the Reverend Thomas led them in prayer over their daughter. He said that he felt warmth flow through his hand as he placed his hand on Deborah's forehead and said that she was healed. The parents, without the permission of the hospital staff, unplugged her respirator. She died 12 minutes later. Why didn't God answer that prayer, whatsoever you ask in my name, I will do it? Another story not quite as serious. Years ago, I was driving back from Miami, Florida on Interstate 95 in a box, big box-type truck. I had been down there after Hurricane Andrew helping with recovery efforts, myself and several other guys. And we had been patching roofs, and I couldn't tell you how many trees we had cut up and hauled off and that kind of thing. But anyway, we were on our way home, and we were in that truck. And about 10 miles from the Daytona Beach exit, heading north, the engine on the truck made a big thud, and the truck stopped running. Coasted over to the edge, looked underneath, and there was a puddle of oil. Grabbed a flashlight, and a closer inspection revealed that an engine rod had pushed through the side of the block. I thought to myself, I wonder what wonderful adventure God has for us now. <laughs> no, that's not what I thought at all. <laughs> not even close. But I did think, God, we have been down here helping people all week. We have been serving you. We have been doing what you've called us to do. And then I remembered the verse over in Jeremiah chapter 33, Call unto me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you know not. And I thought, I'm going to pray this prayer. I mean, I knew that engine was blown to smithereens and there was no earthly reason why that engine should start back up. But if God could create the universe, he could make that engine work, right? So I prayed in his name. I turned the key on that engine, and miraculously, it started up. Not really. 
I tried and I tried and I tried and an hour and a half later, I'm still sitting on I-95 North headed to Daytona Beach. Why did God not answer the prayer? I prayed in his name. Whatsoever you ask in my name, I will do it. We're going to talk about that this morning. We're going to look at some passages over in John chapter 14 and John chapter 15. But before I begin reading those texts, I just kind of want to set the, the context for you today. The disciples that we're going to be kind of talking about here a little bit, I think sometimes we think they were super saints, but really they were more ordinary kind of guys. They were a lot like you and I. They had a lot of the challenges and a lot of the same types of fears that you and I have. And one of the things that the disciples were dreading is it was kind of coming to the end of Jesus' ministry on earth. They didn't realize that, but he, but he kept talking about the cross. And they were feeling like they were going to be left like orphans. And they were afraid of that. And Jesus is going to talk to them and give them some of the most significant words that he ever puts out there on prayer. Not counting the Lord's Prayer the night before he's put on the cross. And yet these disciples who have been following him, who will hear these words about prayer, every one of them in a couple days is going to abandon him. These men were scared to death to be left. Over in John 14, 8, during his last hours, Jesus promised, I will not leave you helpless orphans. That's what they were afraid of. That God was going to leave them like helpless orphans. He'd been talking about the cross. And every time he talked about the cross, they tried to change the subject. And I'm sure they must have thought a little bit like this. We've kind of been a failure when Jesus has been with us. What are we going to be like when he's not with us? So here's what I want us to do. Let's just pretend for a moment that we are with Jesus and his disciples that last night before the cross. And let's see if we can kind of hear the conversation. It's around midnight. And they are coming from the upper room where they've just had the Passover meal. You and I, we kind of fall behind this band of men that Jesus is leading through the streets of Jerusalem. As we walk, we kind of maybe wonder where he's going. Eventually, he goes out the eastern gate. And he crosses the Kidron. And we realize that we're going to one of his favorite spots, the Garden of Gethsemane. As we walk, we can hear Jesus as he continues his ominous discourse. And we can see the disciples, the confused looks on their faces in the moonlight. The men kind of shuffle together trying to get closer to kind of hear exactly what he's saying. We're kind of trailing in the back. They seem puzzled and perplexed by the conversations that Jesus had earlier with Judas, and we wonder what that was all about. And Jesus begins speaking in riddles, and he says something about leaving and something about his father's house. And then Philip speaks up in John chapter 14, verse 8, and we'll pick it up there. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? 
Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe in me when I say that I am the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And then verse 13. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask for anything in my name and I will do it. And then Jesus goes on in another long discourse and Judas, not Iscariot, says, show yourself to us and not to the world. And then Jesus begins to talk about vines and branches and those types of things. And then he says in John chapter 15, verse 7, if you remain in me in these same similar words and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. So we've got three verses in this relatively short amount of text. Basically saying, whatever you ask, anything, I will do it. So we hear that, and I think we read that, and I think just instinctively we're kind of like, that, that just seems too broad. That just doesn't seem to make sense. I think instinctively you think that, right? Because you're thinking, so everybody can just ask for a million dollars and God's going to give it to them? Everybody can just say, I want to win the lottery and God's going to do that for them? I want a sports car, I'm going to have a sports car if all I do is ask in Jesus' name? I mean, just instinctively, I think most of us think there's, there's got to be some limits here. There's, there's got to be some type of, of conditions or something. I mean, are we just saying that God is like this cosmic Santa Claus doling out gifts? You know, is this uh, celestial genie and you just got to rub something, you know, some kind of lamp a few times and you're going to get whatever you want. And then we see the, the contradictions with it could just be anything. For instance, last Friday night, Ringgold High School plays Heritage High School. Biggest rivalry of the year for both of those teams. You win that game, it's almost like the rest of the season doesn't even matter if you win that. Big, big rivalry, right? And I am sure... Where are teenage boys? There were players on Ringgold's High School's team praying to win that game. And I'll bet you there were players on Heritage's high school team praying to win that game. Whatsoever you ask in my name, I will do it. Well, how does that work? If both of them are praying to win the game, both can't win. How about this? How about this? <laughs> a farmer, you won't be able to answer me on this one. <laughs> um, a family is going to the lake, and they pray for a beautiful day to enjoy the lake. A farmer who owns a farm on the lake is praying for rain for his crops. So how, do you, how does that prayer work in that? Or how about this? Some of you understand what this means when I say maybe you're single here today and maybe a mother has designs on you to be her son-in-law. She thinks you'd make a great husband for her daughter. And you have no romantic interest whatsoever in her daughter. 
But she begins to pray in Jesus' name that you're going to be the husband of her daughter and be her son-in-law. Does that mean you're, you're done for? You're going to have to marry her? I mean, how does that work if she's praying in Jesus' name? I mean, it just makes sense, both from a practical, instinctive standpoint, that it can't be limitless. There, there has to be some conditions. Our Lord means exactly what he says, but we need to understand what he says. So here's the first thing this morning about this. John chapter 15, verse 7. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, you ask whatsoever you wish and I will be given to you. That's a beautiful promise. But the first thing you want to notice about this is the first condition. You must have an honest relationship with God for this promise. It says, remain in me. I'll give you whatever you want, but you need to remain in me, which means you need to have an honest relationship with God. This word remain here, it can simply mean stay or remain, but it also has a sense of stay with force or persevere, a strong staying with force, a strong persevering. I can Velcro something up to a wall and it'll probably stay, remain there where I put it. But if I put it up with screws or bolts or something like that, it's really going to stay there. And that's kind of the impact of this word. We need to be really steadfast in remaining in Christ. How do we do that? The, the next sentence tells us. By remaining in God's word. My words remain in you. The starting point to having an honest relationship with God is through God's word. We will be in Christ. We will be abiding, abiding in him when we're in his word. That's why Bible study is so important. That's why your daily devotions, that's why your daily reading of God's word is so important. So you keep that relationship with God. Are you saying, Pastor, are you saying that if I don't read God's word, that God's not going to answer any of my prayers? I'm not saying that. But I am saying is when you are in God's word, you know how to pray more effectively. You will understand how God wants you to pray when you are in his word. So how can we evaluate if we have an honest relationship with God? I just want to kind of give you three questions to think about this morning. They're kind of out of 1 John. Because sometimes it's hard to say, do I really have an honest relationship with God? So three questions for you to ask. Number one, from 1 John chapter 1. Do I or have I refused to admit things I have done wrong in the past? You know what the Bible calls that? Unconfessed sin. What, what might be some examples of that? Well, it could be an activity that we're doing. It can be an attitude that we have. It can be a habit. It's when we want to go our own way and do our own thing. You know what happens when you're doing things that God doesn't want you to do? Attitude, habit, or whatever it is. You break that relationship with Him. You break that connection that you have with Him. And there's a falseness about us. There's, there's a, it's like we're a con, so to speak. There's, there's a two-facedness to us. It's like we're, we're living for God, or we say we are, but really we're living for ourselves. 
And so the first thing I have to ask if I'm looking at an honest relationship with God, are there some things that I'm doing that God is not happy with? And of course, Scripture tells us in 1 John 1, 8, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us. And that word fest, confess means simply that we agree with God. And we say, you know what, God? You're right, and I am wrong. So that's the first thing. Look and see if there's unconfessed sin that's breaking that relationship with God. Number two, am I currently in the present ignoring any of God's principles? In other words, are there some principles that, that, that are scriptural principles, that are commands or principles that are they're not gray? I mean, it's just by George, you're not supposed to do that. Are there some principles like that that, that that you're disobeying and it's disrupting your relationship with him? Because that breaks the connection too. Again, in 1 John chapter 3, verses 21 and 22. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and we receive from him anything we ask because we obey his commands and do what pleases him. Now here's the, here's the question if you're following with me, right? You're tracking with me? So I have to keep all the commands, Pastor? How do you, how do, you do that? I mean, I, I just don't see how I can be perfect. Is that what you're saying? Is that what John is saying? God's saying that through John, that, that we have to be perfect and just keep every single command? God doesn't expect perfection from us. You know what he does expect? Obedience. He expects obedience from us. And oftentimes, obedience is an attitude. That's what he expects from us. My son, Sean, he's the youngest of uh, five of my children. And he's a senior this year, 17 years old. But I want you to go back a few years. I'm sure you've experienced these similar things with, with your children. Let's say Sean's three years old. And he's sitting in the living room and he's watching cartoons on TV. And... I say, Sean, I need you to go in your room and clean up your room. You pick up your clothes, put your toys up, you know, pick up your room, clean up your room. And then I go downstairs. And 30 minutes later, I come upstairs and I walk into his bedroom. And I can tell he's been in there. I mean, most everything is picked up. Now, there's still a sock over by his dresser that hadn't been put up, and there's some Legos over by the closet door that hadn't been taken care of, and there's a hat that's not supposed to be where it is. But overall, he's picked it up. I'm not going to be mad. He's three years old. He's not going to get it perfect like he might get later in life. But he, he obeyed me. He did what I asked him to do. But let's say I come upstairs. And it's 30 minutes later, and he's still sitting in front of the TV watching cartoons. Then we have a problem, right? That's different. The attitude is wrong. There's no obedience. God just wants our obedience. Not perfection, but obedience. So that's the second question. We're looking at the honest relationship. Am I hiding something from God in my relationship? The third one is this. Do I really want God's will for my life? You know, we talk about having God's will for our life a lot. But do we really want it? 1 John 5, 14 says, This is the assurance we have in approaching God. 
And here's the, the phrase again. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, then whatever we ask, we know that we have what we've asked of him. See, I think a lot of Christians, we make a mistake in prayer. We think we have to ask God's will about every little circumstance. Do I need to buy the brown pickup or the red pickup? And we, 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 we get bogged up in those kind of little details when really what we really need to be asking is about ourselves. Am I in God's will? Am I where I need to be? In other words, is my life in harmony with God? Because if my life is in harmony with God, then my desires are going to be what? To please God. I love this statement by St. Augustine. Listen to this. This is a great statement. Love God and do what you please. What? Love God and do whatever you want? You know what he's saying? He's saying if you love God the way you should, with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, if you love God that way, then you're going to live the right way. You'll be in harmony with God. You're not going to want to do what displeases God. And you don't have to constantly say, is it your will? Do I buy the red truck or the brown truck? Do I order a hamburger or do I order pork chops? That, that stuff is all kind of circumstantial stuff. It's the big picture of are you in God's will? To the best of your knowledge, are you trying to do what is right, what God wants you to do? So those three questions are crucial in evaluating yourself. Do I have an honest relationship with God? But there's something else in the text. There's a second point here. Besides remaining in him by his word, by studying his word, there's something else. And this is what it is, the second condition. And what? And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so the Son may bring to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name. Praying in Jesus' name. You mean, if I just pray in Jesus' name, the floodgates of heaven are just going to pour out upon me? I mean, that, that's all there is to it? Have an honest relationship and then just and, and pray in Jesus' name? I don't know that we fully grasp what it means to pray in Jesus' name. Because I think a lot of times it, it's, it's just kind of that thing that we kind of tack on to the end of the prayer, right? In Jesus' name, amen, amen, so be it. So we just kind of tack that on at the end of it. You know, in Jesus' name, you know, it's kind of like... 10-4, good buddy, talk to you later kind of idea. And I think that's the way we, we think about it sometimes. Or as Walter Cronkite used to say, some of you remember that, that's the way it is. Or, you know, it's, it, it, it's you know, you're saying a blessing at the meal. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, pass the salad. You, you, you're ready for it, right? Like it's a code word. I just say that code word in Jesus' name, and I got it. Jesus will be tight. When he talks about praying in Jesus' name, there's a lot more to it than that. What does it mean? Let me tell you a story first, and then we'll dive into that. A pastor was taking his son and 14 of his friends to a birthday party at the carnival. So they were doing all the rides and that kind of thing. And so when the dad got there, he bought a big roll of tickets. You know how that goes at the carnivals. You get the tickets, and then you turn them in there at the gate. So he had his son and his 14 friends, and every time they would go to a ride, as the kids went into the gate, he would just give each one of them a ticket. They'd done a number of rides, 
And uh, so about halfway through the afternoon, they were on another ride. He was just handing out the tickets. And all of a sudden, there was a hand of a boy whose face the dad didn't recognize at all. And the dad looked at him and he said, son, are you one of my son's friends? He said, no. The dad said, well, why should I give you a ticket? And he pointed at the pastor's son and said, because your son said you would. You and I, we have no right to come to God. God doesn't owe us anything. We owe Him everything. He doesn't owe us anything. We are able to come to God through Jesus Christ, through His power. That's one of the reasons that we pray in Jesus' name. Some things about praying in Jesus' name. It's, it's just not something we tack on at the end. When we pray in Jesus' name, you are confessing that your faith in Jesus Christ is the only way to God. It's precisely in this sense that every Christian prayer that is offered in Jesus' name is only by the virtue of what Jesus did on the cross for each of us. That's what guarantees our ability to pray to God. You can pray in any other religious leader's name you want. You can pray in Buddha's name, Confucius's name, Muhammad, Mary Baker Eddy, Joseph Smith. But it won't matter. It's only when you pray in the name of Jesus Christ that you're brought into the presence of God. Secondly, when you pray in Jesus' name, you are acknowledging that his name is the supreme name in the universe. No one can be compared to him. He is number one, and there, there are no number twos, threes, fours. He is in a category by himself. I know we've got a lot of fantasy football players in here. And a lot of you are doing drafts, or you've done drafts. And one of the things that they do in fantasy football is they have tiers. Like tier one is like the best players at that particular position. So like for quarterbacks, it's like Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers and Drew Brees. They're like in tier one and so on and so forth with all the different positions. And you have the tier two quarterbacks, tier three, so on and so forth. When it comes to Jesus, he's tier one and there's nobody else in that tier. He is a stand-alone by himself, that's it. A category unto himself. His name is the greatest of all, period. Thirdly, when you pray in Jesus' name, you're admitting that there is no power to answer your prayers in any other name, including yourself. After all, if you're going to pray in your own name, why bother praying at all? The point of prayer is admitting our dependence on God. A little homework assignment for you. Try this this week, sometime this week. And I don't mean this to be sacrilegious, but just try this. You only have to do it once if you understand my point. When you're praying sometime this week, you pray about your family and pray about hurting people in this world and you pray about things at the church and you pray for missionaries and all this stuff that you, that you pray for. At the end of your prayer, end it something like this. Father, today... I offer this prayer in my own name. I do this because my name is great and I have the power and ability to do the things that I ask. 
you think that would go? Feel kind of dumb, wouldn't you? I mean, really? That would just feel ridiculous, and you probably feel like your prayers got about this far. You pray in Jesus' name because there's power in His name, and we're acknowledging that power. <laughs> Dr. Tony Evans pastors a church in Dallas, Texas. And he was asked to pray at the uh, Texas State Legislature. And right before he got up there to pray, somebody told him, we don't want you to mention the name of Jesus because there's some people here that you'll offend. Of course, Dr. Tony Evans says he wasn't going to have anything to do with that. And he replied that when he prayed to God, he was praying to Jesus and in Jesus' name because Jesus Christ is, Jesus Christ is indeed God incarnate. And then he also pointed out that he was about to ask God to do some very specific things in the Texas State Legislature. And this is what he said. Who's going to answer that prayer if I don't pray in Jesus' name? He's the only one with the power to do what I ask. So when we pray in Jesus' name, we're not just tapping something off to the end of it. All of those things were signified when we pray in Jesus' name. So we look at this verse, and I think we've kind of got some parameters and some conditions set forth. And some of you might be sitting here today and say, Dennis, you know, I, I, I feel like I have a good relationship. I'm honest in my relationship with God. I pray in Jesus' name, and, and I understand what that means. But I still have some prayers that I'm asking, you, and God doesn't seem to be answering them. I think there's some other things that, that, that possibly could come into play here. So as we just kind of, some takeaways this morning, I just wanted you to kind of think about these kind of things, maybe why God isn't answering your prayer. Make sure your requests are appropriate. Some prayers, no matter how well-intentioned, are simply inappropriate. We are all humans. Sometimes we make requests that are simply out of line. And then maybe we can take a little comfort from that because the big three, Peter, James, and John, they're on a mountain with Jesus one day. And I'm paraphrasing this a little bit. But basically, they want to build a getaway for Jesus and Moses and Elijah. And they say, hey, let's build this for you and Moses and Elijah, and we'll take care of it and bask in your glory. And Jesus effectively answers their question by bringing a great cloud that envelops them. And he's basically saying, no, there's still work to do on earth. Inappropriate prayer. Later, James and John bring their mother to Jesus and they say, Jesus, we want to sit at the right hand. And Jesus says, no, those seats are already taken. Inappropriate request. We're human. We're immature. We're materialistic. Sometimes we're selfish. We just sometimes ask for the wrong things. We're short-sighted. We're like kids sometimes that ask you for stuff when you're a parent. You all know what I'm talking about. You're like, no. No, you're not getting a BB gun. You'll shoot your eye out. Right? But sometimes God's like that. What you're asking for is just inappropriate. He said, it's, it's not what you need. Secondly, check your motives. At times, we simply ask with the wrong motives. A popular request along these lines is, God... Would you please change my spouse? Would you change my husband? Would you change my wife or, or some other person that we think needs changing? And certainly God's transforming grace can change people. 
But sometimes the reason we're asking God to change somebody is because we don't want to face our own shortcomings. We want to take the easy way out. We want God to change somebody else. And we don't want to admit our own struggles and the fact that well, maybe I need to be praying that I need to change. Thirdly, and this kind of tags in with, with the other one. If God's not answering your prayer, be sure you're not doing it for your own glory. You know, there's nothing wrong with praying for your gifts or talents to expand and be better, your abilities to be better. They're, you know, whether you're talking music, athletics, intelligence, whatever it is, whatever your, your gifts and abilities are, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with praying for God to increase your business and more accounts and those kinds of things. And certainly God blesses some those types of prayers. But sometimes maybe he doesn't answer those prayers because we're praying those with the wrong Motives. We're not seeking God's glory, but our glory. And our motive is just to be rich or look how good I am and have people come and ask me how I built this great business or, or athletic proudness or musical proudness or instruments or, or whatever it is. Hey, look at how great I am. Maybe that's why God doesn't answer prayer. And then the last one is this. This kind of ties back into what I talked about over in 1 John. Maybe your prayer is not being answered because there's a barrier between you and God. There's something between you and God that needs to be taken care of. I read this story by Bill Hybels years ago. Let's say that you go on vacation and you make arrangements with a young man to cut your grass while you're gone. You come back two weeks later and the grass is knee high. And you know that your little Toro lawnmower pushed behind is not going to do it. And then you remember your neighbor who has a John Deere lawn tractor, 46-inch cut, 22-horsepower Kohler engine. He has told you, anytime you need to borrow my lawn tractor, just let me know. And you decide, you know what? This is the time to borrow that lawn. So you start walking over to his house, and you're on the sidewalk there, and his little dachshund comes flying out. You hate that dog. I mean, it just yaps all the time. I mean, every time you come home in your driveway, that dog's up against his fence. He gets out sometimes, and he comes up, and he digs up your flower beds, because that's what dachshunds do. They dig all the time. I mean, you despise that dog. And here it comes, and it's nipping at your heels, and you see an opportunity, and you just give it a swift kick. <laughs> and then you look up, and your neighbor's standing on the porch. Now what? Something has to be done. If it's me, I'm probably just leaving. <laughs> I'm I don't want anything to do with that confrontation. But now, if, if you want to use that lawn tractor, you're probably going to have to, what? Some forgiveness is going to have to be asked for, and some forgiveness is going to have to be given. And sometimes, our relationship with God, there's, there's a barrier there. And there's some things that we need to ask forgiveness for, and then God will grant At the end of the day, we learn. God will give us. That's a great promise. But it's dependent on our relationship with Him. 
asking in Jesus' name. And then we also see that there's some things, reasons that God doesn't answer prayer, other reasons. And here's the, kind of the bottom line. Sometimes we pray for things and God almost immediately answers them. Sometimes we pray for things and God says wait. And sometimes waiting takes a long time. You look at Abraham and Sarah and they wanted a child and they waited for years and years and really basically just given up. Maybe you're praying for something and God's just saying wait. You probably can look back in your life before and see areas where you prayed and you waited for a long time. And then there are just sometimes God says no. And we don't know why. I mean, we just don't know. Sometimes years later you may figure it out. Oh, that's why God did that. But at the time you can't see it. And then sometimes you just never know. Sometimes he answers. Sometimes he says wait. And sometimes he says no. Was, that's hard. It's tough. I understand that. But I do think we take comfort in knowing that God says if you ask and your relationship is right, if it's his will, he's going to answer our prayers. He's listening to us. Will you pray with me, please?